Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Raven Catlin on the show. She is the CEO and professional trainer of Raven Global Training LLC. If you've ever been to an IIA training or a soccer training, then you've probably seen Raven before. I know I saw Raven years and years ago when she was talking about agile auditing and flash forward all these years later, and she has literally written the book on agile auditing, aptly named Agile Auditing Fundamentals and Applications. So that is the topic of the day. And we had Raven walk us through a real world use case where they apply the agile auditing methodology. This was for a, a client of hers, actually, I think fairly recent um, engagement that she was on. And so she takes us through the full step from planning to reporting. Um, at least in this episode, she only does half of it. So we were going along recording this one and I said, let's, we need to make this a, a, a two-parter, which I don't think we've done since the very first episode or maybe the second, third episode, but only because we didn't really know what we we're doing at the time. And so, uh, this is part one on agile auditing and actual use case. We also try to clear the air on all the nomenclature within agile in general and so things like sprints and stories and, and things of that nature stand-ups we try to make sure to address with those concepts so here is part one with raven catlin on agile auditing here we go if you had to require auditors to read a book what would it be you know what one of my favorite uh it's not so it, it's marketed as a textbook. It's the Internal Audit Assurance and Consulting Services by Paul Sobel and Company. Mm -hmm. I personally think it's one of the easiest reads about auditing. So to give you an idea, just uh, was it yesterday? Yeah. So um, I I actually worked. Uh, I so I am a contributing author to the IACI Learning System. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching the CIA exam using the CIA learning system since 2008. I have um, a really good pass rate. I have got 94% of my students pass the exam, which nice. is pretty high given that the exam pass rate is around 40%. Anyway, um, the IA changed their protocols for allowing people to instruct from their content, even though I'm a contributing author and you kind of have to go through IIA. Well, um, I stopped teaching the CIA learning system and Wiley approached me and asked me if I would do video recordings for their product. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you've ever read Wiley CI review product, but it is to get the books. You would think this is the hardest exam in the world. Um, and I said, I can definitely record something for you, but I can't do it from your content because your content is so massive. There's, there's so much content in there. That's nice. It's good content, yeah. but it's not relevant for the exam. So what I did is I created my own content and recorded it for them. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I was sharing with them was when it comes to, uh, so they have a new product manager, sorry, let me back up. They have a new product manager. This product manager is not familiar with the IIA. It's not familiar with internal audit. They're familiar with exam prep tools. Mm-hmm. So I spent about an hour on the phone with him yesterday talking about the CIA exam, the IIA and tools and things like that. And so he was um, probably about three minutes into the conversation. I said, before I even get into it, let's talk about what internal auditing is and what internal auditing isn't. Mm-hmm. I said, so as internal auditors, we may never look at financial accounting. As internal auditors, we are generally employees of a company. We are consultants that come in and work for a company to provide an assessment of the internal operations, compliance, risk management, governance. Yeah, we might do some financial stuff, but we don't, we're not, we're not accountants. In fact, yeah. the IRA has for a number of years now said, you don't have to be an accountant to be an internal auditor. It was a stigma that we had is that you had to be an accountant to be an internal auditor. So I said that some of the best internal audit shops have recruited business experts into their internal audit team. And though we can teach the audit skills, we can teach how to ask questions, how to work, uh, write up work papers and documentation. We can teach all that. Um, But what we have a hard time teaching is the business side of it to where the auditors are able to catch on pretty quickly, understand the risk, identify the controls, and then assess whether or not the controls are good enough. So anyway, very enlightening conversation with him because I think that's one of our biggest uphill battles as um, an audit profession, an internal audit profession, is getting away from the stigma that we are accountants yeah, and that we must be CPAs or that we all love numbers. Yeah. Um, that's actually why I went into internal, internal audit. I didn't, I was working as an accountant for a company called PP Payne. Uh, they make tear tapes, which are the things that go around your cigarette wrappers, your FedEx packages that help you open it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Craft cheese on the outside. There's a, a red strip that goes around it. Yeah. Um, that's what they make. They make that strip. <laughs> um, and I was their accountant for, um, four months. And then I was their interim CFO for three months. I was by the way, 18 years old. Nice. Um, uh, I, w- I graduated college at 19. I graduated high school at 16. So, oh. um, I was in my senior year of college and I applied for their permanent CFO position. I will never, ever forget this, um, uh, because this is what really launched my internal audit career. Um, I had had some problems with how they manage their accounting records. They were still using MS-DOS. This is what uh, year? This is in 1996, okay. uh, into 97. I left in 97. They were using MS-DOS, a system called Macola, And we had all these backend spreadsheets that we had to use in order to create our financial records, which is fine. You know, I get it. Um, so I said to my boss, I said, um, what I'd really like to do is maybe, you know, give you some, my president of the company, uh, maybe give you some input as to, you know, what needs to happen differently in the accounting function as you're hiring for a new CFO. So I was an internal auditor 
and the, and the accountant. And I was auditing myself anyway, um, through this audit, I applied for the full-time position. I'll never forget Mike Jewell, president of the company comes in, he sits his rump on my Mm. desk and he says, Raven, I've really valued all the work that you've done here. He says, but first I want to tell you that the, the report that you provided, you're suggesting that we go out and implement a system that'll cost us about a million dollars and we make 11 million a year. I simply can't understand the rationale behind wanting to buy a system that is almost a 10th of our annual revenue just to do the accounting. Mm-hmm. Eye-opening experience. I was like, wow, that was pretty stupid recommendation. <laughs> right? We've all done that, right? We've made a recommendation that sounds reasonable, but we forget the cost. And so when I talk about, so one of our courses is called Intelligent Internal Controls. Uh-huh. Um, it's actually based off of a book. Nice. <laughs> called intelligent internal controls. Um, <laughs> not one that uh, I would necessarily read cover to cover. I have read it cover to cover. Um, but there were some pretty intriguing things. The author's name is Lech, I think is how you say it. L-E-I-T-C-H. Um, and I liked the idea of calling controls intelligent because I think as auditors, we get these controls and we're like, ooh, I, I sometimes say auditors are control hands. Like we find a control where it's like a bone, mm-hmm. you know, oh yeah, that's a control. I need, I need to test that control. And then you, you say, ah, and you uh-huh. find it in the control and you're like, yeah, that's a control. And that's a good control. That works. But we forget that controls are in place to manage risk. And we forget that controls are in place to help achieve objectives. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I took a couple of liberties with his book and I said, intelligent internal controls are based on four things. First of all, it has to be designed well, designed to mitigate risk, designed to help you meet your objectives, right? Second thing is it has to add value to the business. If the people performing the control don't see the value in doing it, they stop doing it or they don't do it well. We see this all the time. This is why we have control failures and breakdowns, right? Is people mm-hmm. say, oh, that's a stupid thing. I don't know why I have to do that. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can take, um, there was an old example. I want to say it was like copper or something like that, where there was uh, someone who had to take scrap copper from one facility to the next. And when they left the one facility, the security guard was supposed to record the time of departure and the weight of the vehicle. And when they reached the other facility, the security guard there was supposed to record the time of arrival and the weight of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Well, the security guards are like, this is stupid. They know how long it takes to get there. Why do I need to record that? So they stopped recording it. That's what happens when people don't see value in what they're doing. They just, yeah. they stop doing it. Yeah. Know why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, as auditors were sitting there thinking, well, you record the time to make sure he's not making like a pit stop somewhere and replacing some of that copper with something yeah. else. And you record the weight to make sure that if he does offload some copper, we at least have an idea that he offloaded some copper. I mean, yeah. anyway. All right. So third thing, intelligent internal controls says that it has to be cost effective. Mm-hmm. And that's what I missed in that recommendation. I say cost-effective to implement. And then the big part of what auditors miss, cost-effective to sustain. Controls cost money. And I think as auditors, we forget that. We forget that a lot when we're making recommendations. We forget that someone's time, energy, and effort will have to go with you. Putting the system in place, maintaining the system, or performing the system. Anyway, fourth thing, by the way, just to finish it up, because I love talking about intelligent internal controls, is that the last reason to implement something is because a law or an auditor tells you to. Mm-hmm. That pisses off a lot of my compliance yeah. auditors because they're like, oh my gosh, the law says you have to do it. You have to do it. And I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah. Choice. 
you can choose not to follow the law. And then in our courses, a lot of times the example I give is, you know, everybody knows that there's a white sign with black numbers and you're not supposed to go above those black numbers. You make a risk-based decision mm -hmm. to go above those numbers. You break the law. It's a choice. That's Just like I feel like for companies, it's a choice not to comply with the law. Mm -hmm. I've worked with a company who intentionally would not comply with EEO. Um, I won't mention the company name, but we'll say this. It is a, it, it's not even a company. It's an entity that is funded through donations of other countries. And in their hiring practices, they must hire a commiserate number of individuals based on the funds received from that country mm -hmm. that are citizens only of that country. Mm -hmm. They are willingly and knowingly violating U.S. EEO laws. And so we've talked Agile on the show a little bit. Uh, I know we've done one episode strictly around Agile and then other folks just hit on it. But I think for a lot of people, what would be helpful is just a walkthrough of of an agile audit, not the entire thing, but maybe just a, just a sprint or something to that effect. And so could you walk us through that for whatever, like you can pick whatever use case you want to, but, um, and you don't have to go into a ton of detail because we certainly, I'm sure that would take more than the time that we have, but just so people understand kind of the concepts, because I see this stuff on LinkedIn and other places about people doing agile or like, I've been doing agile for 20 years and it's like, I don't think you have, cause it's not that old. Um, so I think it, all that to say, I think yeah, it'd be helpful one. if you could just walk us through one. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start there. Um, so agile, just so you know, agile actually was implemented or came out back in 01. Okay. So it could have been 20 years. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you a little bit about how it came out. Uh, so Ceciliana, who is my co-author, um, and I were having a venting session just about audit stuff that annoyed us. Um, and I think I shared this with you in our first conversation, you know, things like um, P, uh, audit clients taking a long time to get us evidence, um, auditors being pulled off on another project and not being able to look at evidence that was provided only to discover that the evidence that we actually did receive was not what we actually needed. Um, and then all of the wordsmithing, you know, these are just things we were complaining about the wordsmithing that happens first in your work papers, which is bad enough. Um, but then in the audit report, which is even worse, you know, I, I think the longest duration for most of my audits, if, if most of my 20 years in audit, I've spent doing audits that were three months in duration consistently three months, whether it was a 200 hour audit to be finished in three months yeah. or a 7,000 hour audit, which I have done in three months, much larger team, of course. Yeah. Um, audits take as long as we give them, mm -hmm. right? If we say you've got until June 30th, guess what? You're taking until June 30th. Um, so that, anyway, we were venting about these things. And Cecilia is a project management professional. She'd been doing research on agile project management uh, not just agile software development, but, you know, kind of branching out from there. And of course, agile has gone other places. There's agile marketing, agile sales. I mean, you name it, people have taken it to say, oh, we, we do this as agile. So right. she says, why don't you take and you do agile auditing? You know, if you're, or maybe what she said was, have you ever thought about incorporating agile project management into auditing? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know. What is agile? <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, I started reading and I was like, you know, I think we can do this. Um, so I recently completed an audit using an agile methodology. Uh, a lot of times people think, oh, you need this whole team of auditors. You don't. I was the only, only auditor. I had myself and my uh, supervisor. And then I had the client, which consisted of three individuals. Um, first thing we did is we had a, what we call in auditing. Um, so we skipped over the product backlog, which is kind of in agile auditing, basically your audit universe, or the way I like to think about it is your risk universe. We skipped okay. over that because this was one client, one project in and out, and we were done. Okay. So we started by, um, my boss was not involved in the meeting, but the client, the four, the three client people who were involved and myself, we started out with a sprint, sprint planning meeting. Um, the meeting took about three hours where we talked about some of the risks, some of their concerns. We talked about some of the tasks that I needed to complete as an auditor. Um, I didn't know the controls at the time. So we kind of talked about one of the first things we had to do is we had to go in and we had to do interviews and walkthroughs because the audit client um, did not have documented policies and procedures. Uh, we, we were left to only do interviews and walkthroughs. Now this is during COVID. Um, we actually were on site for two days to do all of our interviews and walkthroughs, which actually worked out pretty well. Yeah. And during this two day time period, I basically observed everything that she had done. Now as a value add outside of the scope of the agile audit, we also wrote their policies and procedures for that, but that was a completely separate consulting engagement. And that's the first thing I'll, I'll hit on is because in the sprint planning meeting, you are agreeing to scope. The client in that meeting said, could you write our policies and procedures? And I said, not as part of this agile audit. It just, it can't happen, right? And you have to be very clear and very firm of what you can get done as a team in that two week sprint, this was two weeks, and what you cannot get done. I absolutely could not write policies and right. procedures for them. And, and, and that's a, that's a trait of a sprint. And you've mentioned sprint a couple of times. Could yeah. you explain for those that don't know what a sprint is? Yes. Thank you for, thank you for, uh, sometimes you get so caught up in what you know, you forget what you don't, what you didn't <laughs> know when you started. Uh, so a sprint is nothing more than a defined period where you are dedicated and focused to completing one objective. Okay. One thing that you're trying to get done. Um, sometimes I sprint in my house when I'm, I'm cleaning, right? Um, okay. It doesn't take two weeks, but I'll say, okay, within the next two hours, this must be done. What, once that two hours is done, what didn't get done, didn't get done, but I am focused on getting that done for two hours and I am full force ahead with getting it completed. So that's all a sprint is. It's just a period of time that you are trying to get something completed uh, where you are fully dedicated to getting it done and you are focused only on that thing. And let's uh, say, going, uh, what are the, what are the ramifications of not getting it done? Cause I think that that's what I would, that's what I'm curious about. Cause like you said, um, even if, I guess, even if we have two weeks to do something, inevitably it's going it, to, it could take longer than that or whatever the time frame is. So what do you just go, ah, okay, we tack on another week or how does that work? You do not tack on time. What you do, so in the sprint planning meeting, we're deciding on what gets done. Mm -hmm. We're estimating based on the available resources and our own productivity. So you have to know a lot about yourself and a lot about your team members. 
So going into this audit, I knew that one of my team members was only available um, for four days out of the week. And every day she was completely unavailable between a two hour window of time. So I knew that going in. So you have to take that into consideration. Another thing that audit teams do wrong, right? Is we don't really think reasonably about how much time someone can work. Um, there are people who legitimately probably only work four hours a day. And what I mean by that is, yeah, they have an eight hour day, but real productivity time is probably four hours. Yeah. And that's the time you need to take into consideration. And that's one of the big value parts of agile auditing is you have to realize if you cannot have a fully dedicated team, which no internal audit team has been able to do yet you have to realize that people are not going to actually spend 40 hours a week on your audit. It's just, it's reality. Yeah. You know, you're going to have some downtime. So um, during that sprint planning meeting, we were very conscious about how much we were biting off, how much we were trying to, to get done. And in the event that when it comes time for your sprint review, which happens at the end of the time period, two weeks is two weeks, it's not three. All right. It's two weeks. At the end of the time period, you look back and say, here's what we did achieve and here's what we didn't achieve. Here are the tasks we completed and here are the tasks we did not complete. For any task that is not completed, that goes back on the product backlog. Um, and then it gets reevaluated along with all the other priorities you have to do. So one of the things that we built into agile auditing is it must be risk-based mm -hmm. too frequently auditors audit something because it was on the plan. Right. I have done audits and I was just kind of scratching my head going, why am I doing this? What's the importance? What's the value? And someone inevitably will come back to me and say, well, we have to get it done. That's yeah. So that always frustrated me so bad. And I, and I remember asking like, okay, but it doesn't matter anymore. So to a degree, um, can't we just take it off the plan? Like that was some huge sin to take it off the plan. So in Agile, we leave it on the plan. We just never get around to it. Perfect. <laughs> because seriously, there's always bigger fish to yeah, fry. Right? Yeah. That, and um, that was my complaint. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's always something more important that we should be doing. And right. here's the big problem with doing the things that really don't matter anymore. Cash counts. Perfect example. Yes, I know people can steal cash. Yes, I know there's a fraud risk, but it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Companies aren't closing their door because people are stealing cash, right? Not usually. Yeah. I mean, even companies have had big embezzlements are still operating. Um, why are we spending time doing it when, when we provide the results and the recommendations, someone's going to say, okay, so what? Big deal. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing those audits. If that is the outcome If people are right. struggling, right. their shoulders going, took you that long to tell me that we already knew that. Right. And by the way, in the sprint planning meeting, we should be hashing out things. They already know that they're doing wrong. Another, another place where auditors waste time is we audit things that whether it's culture, whether it's fear, uh, whether it's lack of trust, our audit clients don't tell us is already wrong when we start to audit. Yeah, yeah. So we go and we find these exceptions and they're like, oh yeah, we knew about that. Right. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> so that way I didn't waste my time testing it. I didn't waste your time talking about it. And together we could have collaborated on how do we fix it? Yeah. Anyway, like okay, I so said, I, get me venting on audit. No, I can tell you all the things that have frustrated uh, me. No, no, I love it. It's fantastic. It's, okay. So I think uh, we're, we're done with sprint planning. I think we've hit that hard enough. Is that right? Yep. You got any? Yep. Okay. All right. So um, then what? One of the 
there's actually three other things that we decide in that sprint planning meeting. If you're doing real, you know, and you don't have to, you don't have to do an all, all in one agile audit Mm -hmm. methodology. Yeah. So two things um, that I see frequently left off are the definition of ready and the definition of done. Again, set during the sprint planning meeting. Definition of ready is when do we actually can, when can we say we are in this audit now, right? We are ready to go. You know, think about the sprinter, you know, when the, when the gun chimes, there are things that they need in order to be ready to start running, to start that sprint. They need their shoes on most of the time. Hmm. Uh, They need clothing on, hopefully Uh, (laughs) they need to be at the block. They need to, they need to have their legs in the right position. Those are all part of definition of ready, but in the audit context, it might mean your team has been identified. You've agreed on your daily scrum meeting time and location or the collaboration tool you're going to use. Um, You have identified the schedules of your audit clients who, by the way, are, are part of your team. That's something that I've been preaching for a very long time. Participative auditing was introduced to me back when I read Sawyer's book. Nice. Just you know, since I showed it to you earlier, <laughs> um, and participative auditing is another foundational part of agile auditing, and it's basically getting your audit client to participate in the audit. I like to say it this way: audits happen with them, not to them. Right? Nobody really likes things happening to them; they like things to happen with them. Um, so the client is part of that initial planning meeting. They are part of your team. Bottom line, audits go nowhere unless your audit client participates. Whether or not you are doing participative auditing or agile auditing or risk-based auditing, if your client is checked out and not giving you information, you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Right. So uh, third thing that we do establish in our sprint planning meeting is that uh, daily scrum meeting time. And I kind of mentioned that as part of definition of ready. Again, definition of ready is sometimes forgotten. Um, so you have to make sure you establish that daily sprint scrum uh, or daily stand-up meeting, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then the definition of done is when we have completed this engagement, when can we agree that we are done? Um, some people might say that, um, I don't know, all of the tasks are completed or 90% of the tasks are completed. This again is determined by the team. Now I want to stress this. I've mentioned the team a couple of times. There is no boss in agile auditing. There's no one that has to approve your audit program. There's no one that has to approve your work papers. You can do all of that with peer review. You're working together as a team to achieve an outcome, to achieve an objective. So the team decides on all of those things. Um, the product owner, if you will, the chief audit executive or their delegate, they are the ones who are going to agree on what does the definition of done look like, but they don't get to determine how it gets there. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So that covers sprint planning meeting. So once, uh, and again, I'm going to go back to the audit that I did. This is a, it was a public works, um, facility. They did all the billing for, um, public services. And we agreed it was going to be three days on site and all work would be completed within two weeks. Um, Now, as auditors, there are things that we have to be conscious and aware of throughout an engagement. Fraud is one. Mm -hmm. For me, that's mandated by our standards. For me, another one is the use of technology or in this case, the lack thereof. (laughs) Um, 
And another big one for me is governance and culture. Um, I'm constantly alert to what's happening within the environment because if your culture is not healthy, if the governance is not strong, things start to go wrong. Um, and that was what was in this case is the, the culture, people were afraid to tell the boss when something had gone wrong. They were afraid to ask questions to get clarification before they did something. So they just made up their own rules. Remember, there were no policies and procedures. So they just made it up as they went along. Um, they did have some regulatory things that were established by the city that they were and were not allowed to do. They were within the regulations. They always were within the regulations. But if it came down to, for example, someone coming in to um, create a new account and they wanted to put down a deposit before the water meter was installed. Well, they're technically not allowed to do that. The water meter has to be on the property before they can put down a deposit. Well, there was this one person who was adamant that he'd, you know, he'd come into some money and he really wanted to put down a deposit before he spent the money because he didn't think he could not spend the money. So they said, all right, we'll take your deposit. And then the boss heard about it. And he was like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't be doing that. And they said, well, there's nothing that says we can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, um, so all of, the, all, uh, all of that kind of, uh, one of the last things we do in the sprint planning meeting is we start to develop our project task board, which are the list of tasks that we are going to complete. Now, I was essentially the team along with those three other individuals and the scrum master. So I owned the product back, or sorry, the project task board. I owned the project task board. And the project task board has three columns. Not started or to do, take your pick. In process or doing, take your pick. And then done or done. <laughs> <laughs> Completed, I guess, if you want something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I put what I knew at the time, and again, Agile requires you to make decisions based on what you know now, not what you hope to know in the future. It's what you know now. So this project task board is going to change. You're going to add things as you learn more. So I started with three tasks, uh, walkthrough of three of the different processes that I was auditing on day one, uh, walkthrough of three additional processes that I was auditing on day two, and then walkthrough of the last two processes and kind of my um, exit because I was leaving off site. Um, that's all I really set out to do during those days. And again, as part of those walkthroughs, I am still, I'm not only assessing the adequacy of controls, but I'm also performing tests of controls as I'm going through that process. Mm -hmm. Now, I mentioned briefly that one of the struggles for this particular client was they really didn't have effective use of technology. Um, they had manual records on cards that they stored by name. Like a or, Rolodex. Yes. Like a Rolodex, except there were about 30 lengthy, like they're about <laughs> two feet long Rolodexes. And if you came in to establish an account, they would go to that Rolodex file to figure out what amount of money you already had on account. By the way, this was actually in their system as well. They didn't trust their system to be accurate, so they went to the paper cards. 
Hey, everyone. Thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. That's okay. it. I side note, I didn't realize, like as I've talked to people about analytics and like we've built some stuff, mm-hmm. like some SaaS tools and and then showed it to other people. And the amount of people that go, yeah, but I don't really know. I mean, how does it work? How does it calculate that? Like, I just can't trust it. That's what it boiled down to. Like, I just don't trust it. And I was like, it's, how do you not, it's programmed into a machine that does the work automatically for you. Like that, that was just, it just, I did not expect anyone to say that. And it actually ends up being like a huge, like barrier to entry for tech with people is I don't trust it. And I, I don't, maybe it's just my generation or something, but like, I don't, you know, like if I'm paying for it, then I trust it enough that it's going to work or even free stuff. I don't don't know. I just, you mentioned that it just kind of blows my mind that, that, um, that people have that concern. I'm not saying it's not valid. It just, it never would have dawned on me. Um, like I never would have made that assumption unless, until someone told me and I've heard it multiple times now, like, well, we just don't trust it. We don't know what it's doing, how it's doing it. So anyway, Um, sorry, side note. That was one of the things I discovered on day one, right? Um, Another thing I discovered on day one as they're walking me through basically the billing process was let's say, Trent, that um, you you, uh, discovered that your, your toilet was leaking, okay? You could call in and say, hey, I just discovered my toilet was leaking. I'd like a credit on my account. And they were like, all right, well, how long has it been leaking? And and then they would go in and they would look at where your billing was and your usage. And then you guys would kind of decide together how long it's been leaking. Mm -hmm. And then the the person would just give you an adjustment on your account for that amount. They would just say, ah, I think you need a $50 adjustment, or I think you need a hundred dollar adjustment. The reality is that person could do a $14,000 adjustment on your account and nobody was looking. Risk, right? Yeah. That's my head again. Agile <laughs> auditing, risk-based auditing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. not good. No bueno. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, my next day, I go into my daily stand-up. We held it at 9 a.m. every single day, even when it was remote. Mm-hmm. My next day, I went in and I said, um, here's what I did yesterday. And I told them about the three walkthroughs that I had done. Here's what I'm doing today. I told them about the three walkthroughs that I was planning to do that day for the three different processes. And here's an obstacle that I've run into. Number one, your team does not appear to trust the data in the system and they're using too many manual records. Number two, your team, one person in particular, is able to unilaterally make an adjustment of any amount on any account for any reason. That's that daily scrum. We're not trying to hash out the facts. We're not trying to solve the problems. We're just making people aware of our current status. Okay. I probably went a little beyond the traditional daily scrum by simply sharing that this is an obstacle, which is, you know, you don't trust data. And the other is that this person can make any adjustment for any amount for any person, for any reason. 
Um, but I, I was starting to communicate the audit results without hashing through anything. And this is where I think a lot of auditors get stumbled or stumble on is they want to get all the facts and all the data before they even tell the client that they might have a problem. Granted, if I would have expressed an opinion that way, I think I would have overstepped by me saying something that is factually accurate. Mm -hmm. This person can make any amount adjustment on any account for any reason. That is a factual statement. Yeah. Um, one of my clients from Japan, because of the Japanese culture, they could not openly state risks and problems. They couldn't openly state that there was too much manual work in this group, that the people didn't trust the technology because that looks bad. And a lot about that culture is about not airing your dirty laundry, basically. Sure. Sure. Um, so agile has to be tweaked depending on the environment that you're working in. But in this environment with this group of people, I felt that that was the appropriate thing to do during the daily scrum. Again, we weren't trying to um, get more details or go over it since I was the one doing the work. And then the person who I did the walkthrough with was doing the work. We were the only two that were allowed to speak. Her status update in that daily scrum was yesterday, Raven and I walked through three, three, these three different processes. Today, I'm going to walk through these three processes with her. Um, obstacles, she actually said, well, tomorrow is my day off. Um, this would be not the day that we were given the update, but the following day, which was supposed to be my third day in the office. Mm -hmm. Again, she's saying, I'm not going to be here to do these two other walkthroughs with Raven. So there's my obstacle. We're not trying to solve the obstacle in that 15 minutes. Okay. So after the daily scrum as the scrum master, I go back and I say, okay, if you can't, if you're not here tomorrow, that's fine. Can I speak to someone else about these processes? Again, being agile, she says, well, the three processes that we are talking to talking about today, she's involved in those three processes, but she's not involved in the two that you need to talk about tomorrow. So what did we do? We were agile. We flipped it. I replaced the two um, that I was supposed to do the next day into the de current day. And then I just, I just flipped it. It wasn't a big deal, right? I can still get work done, but I had to be agile, adaptable, and flexible to get it done. <clears throat> anyway, I get a little excited talking about agile auditing because I think- No, I can, can tell it's fantastic. Please keep going. <laughs> it can solve a lot of the problems that we encounter. <clears throat> I should also add, something I forgot to do on day one. And, you know, I was telling, I was so happy to be doing an agile audit after the book was written that each day I'm talking to Ceciliana and I'm telling her about the day, you know, and I'm just having, I'm just sharing with her my insights. You know, I had done several before and during writing of the book, but I hadn't had a chance once our framework was kind of developed and I had Ceciliana's inputs prior to Ceciliana joining on to write the book with me. It was all me. It yeah. was all me kind of thinking about there's how we could do it. Yeah. Silly me to think I had all the answers because once Ceciliana was pulled into the book, I'm like, oh, 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 I hadn't thought about that. It was really good. <laughs> so anyway, she, she called me out on this. She says, um, so what are you doing tonight? And I said, well, um, I'm going to write up the work papers for the three walkthroughs that I did. And she says, Raven, why didn't you write up the walk? Uh, why didn't you write up the work papers while you were doing the walkthrough? Mm -hmm because that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. right? Another reason why auditors get delayed is we wait to write up what we think we understood 
in agile while we're doing the sprint, right? While you're working hand in hand with your audit client, what would prevent me from simply typing up the notes um, and having her read what I'm typing while I'm typing? Yeah. There's nothing secret about what auditors are doing. Yeah. We're internal <laughs> yeah. auditors. We're not yeah. external auditors. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Even prior to agile auditing, I cannot tell you how many times that I would suggest that the work papers be shared with the audit client and bosses, chief audit executive, be like, uh-uh, we can't do that. We're not allowed to do that. I'm like, who says you can't do that? Standards. Yeah. I'm like, standards don't say that at all. Yeah, I did it in, in company. Yeah, I did an external audit. I had a partner uh, early on when I started and like same thing, like we'll go in, take notes on a pen and paper, come back, type it all up. And he's like, what, why don't you just like, cause you have the prior walkthroughs already most of the time. It's like, why don't you just go through it with them and update it as you go? And I was like, I I didn't know we were allowed to do that. And I I think for, and I, I've like, I did that with other um, partners there and they're like, no, you have to take a pen and paper. Like that. I've literally heard somebody say you have to use a pen and paper. And I just thought that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, why would I do the work twice? But so I think there is maybe even this, um, maybe a negative perception of what that would look like to the client to be able to do that, to take notes on a laptop. Um, I disagree with it. I think it's totally fine and makes sense, especially like you're saying within the agile framework to do that. But even outside of that, like just take your laptop and take notes. Exactly. And here's the funny thing um, in my interviewing classes that I've taught, I talk about how the laptop can be a physical barrier between Mm -hmm. you and the person you're talking to in agile. You're letting the person see the information. There is no physical barrier. I also talk about how it can be a, um, an audible barrier, right? I mean, to hear someone clicking on a keyboard can get pretty frustrating but again, I think that that barrier is broken down because they're they're watching what you're doing while you're doing it. They're contributing and correcting anything you misunderstood. Yeah. Another part that delays an audit is that back and forth. Oh no, you misheard, you misunderstood that. Oh no, you don't have all of the information. Particularly when we go in and we ask for audit evidence. Again, this is happening during that sprint, right? So, give you an example. We walk through the billing process. I said, uh, "Can I take a look at ten bills?" Sure. We get, I, I select the 10 bills. We pull the 10 bills right there together. And we're looking at the bills together. There were two of them that I had questions on. And had this been a normal audit, she would have sent me the 10 bills. I would have looked at them on my own. And then I would have said, oh, I have questions on these two things. And then I'd have had to schedule time with her later to talk about those two things. And then she would say, oh, I need to give you some other information. Let me find it. And then I would have gone back and I would have waited for her to find that information until she finally found it and gave it to me. Here's how it's different in the agile environment. Hmm. We look at these 10 bills. I have two questions. She was like, oh, that one, that I, here's what I need. And I was like, can we pull that up? She pulled it up. I look at it right then and there. I document what it was that I saw. For the second one, we pulled it up right then and there. We went back, we looked, we recalculated and discovered that there was a billing calculation error. All right. Oh, here's the advantage. She now sees the problem at the same time that I see it. And I don't have to persuade her or her bosses what the problem was. We've already hashed out the issue. We've already got a corrective action, right? We've already agreed on what needs to be done to fix this, not only for this one bill, but also what they need to do to make sure it didn't happen on any other bills and what they need to do to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. We hashed all of that out right there, looking at those 10 billing statements together. It was awesome. Yeah. So excited. Anyway, um, so day two, 
once Ceciliana had called me out on not documenting the working papers, <laughs> I was literally documenting with her right then. Now, remember that there's three of us on a team. It's a collaborative, participative environment. And that one person didn't know how to do two of these tasks, but she needed to. She just hadn't been cross-trained on it. So we took this as an opportunity to let her observe the processes as well. What a win-win for the client, right? She gets a little bit of that cross-training in. She gets to understand it. She gets to see the process. All the while, I'm also getting an understanding of the process for our evaluation purposes. Um, I don't say think that that's something that can always happen, but we took the opportunity as it, as it presented itself because they had to do it anyway, yeah. eventually. So the client was very happy that the other person also received cross-training at the same time. So that worked out pretty well. And here I am documenting everything. In fact, one thing that um, this allowed me to do is the person who was observing to learn it, she took those two processes that she didn't know. And she actually said, I'll write the procedures for this based on my understanding. So what a great way for her to, to reinforce what she had learned. So also took something off my plate for the next job, which is great. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. Anyway, so we're sitting there, we're documenting those. Uh, this is where I learned about these manual deposit cards. Um, and I'm like, you mean those five that are back there? And she was like, oh, those are just the current ones. Do you want to see? And I said, oh, what do you mean the current ones? She says, well, we have some historical ones as well. And I'm like, again, good walkthrough, follow-up question. Well, where are they? Oh, they're back in our server room. Can we go see them? Yeah. So we literally walked back there together. There was no delay in trying to go see them. There were like 20 of them back there. God, I, I was just like, when do you use these? She was like, well, only if we think these are not current. <laughs> anyway, and then good walkthrough question. Why don't you rely on the information that's in the system? I don't trust that that information's right. Well, who put that information in there? I did. <laughs> You don't trust that it's right? No, we've, we've, sometimes it's not right. Why? Well, it was a manual process. And then it kind of circles back to, again, having an understanding. So move forward, documenting, doing all the testing, looking at things together. Day three comes around. We have another daily scrum. Yesterday, we changed our plan. We did these three things because uh, M was out. And today we're going to do these two things. Um, since this other person knows this job. And um, the only obstacle in my way is that today is my last day. And if for any reason I can't um, get this done, we'll you know, have to do some remote walkthroughs. And I've already checked and there's some doubt that technology will be an effective use. So they didn't know how to use Zoom or any other collaboration tool. They didn't know how to share screens. Um, so then that kind of started, you know, there could be a, a technology competency yeah. weakness within the organization. All right. So um, you talked about one of the things that really touches near and dear to my heart, and that is data analytics. Mm -hmm. All right. So we do our three days of walkthroughs. I leave um, and I send, uh, before I left, I gave her a list of reports that data that I would like. Um, I was able to get one of them before I left, um, unfortunately in hard copy. And I asked, I said, can we get this in soft copy? Cause here's the analytics that I want to run. I want
wanted to just get some things that I probably should have gotten in the beginning. So for me in risk-based auditing, now I'm going to go outside of agile for a second. I think data analytics should be performed when you're first learning the business unit, run some analytics to figure out how many customers are we talking about? What is the average bill? Um, what is the average, you know, monthly billing receipts by day? Yep. Um, this is all stuff that as auditors, we should know. The client should know it as well, by the way, but they usually don't. Mm -hmm. But we should know to understand the environment and identify risk before we start auditing. Yep. I, and I, I, I know that pivot tables are um, intimidating to some people. But if you take 30 minutes and watch 30 minutes worth of YouTube videos, pick different people if you want to on pivot tables. Yes. That would be yep. the probably the best 30 minutes you've spent on YouTube, potentially in your life, definitely in your professional career. It's yep. not that, that like it's, it's, it, for most of the time it's like three steps. It's and like three steps to do it. You know, what I find fascinating is some people don't even know what a, a pivot table is, which is totally fine, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. But as an auditor, you know what question you're asking. And the reality is all you have to type in is how do I blank, 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 blank. Yeah. And something's going to come up, right? I mean, I remember the first time I did a VLOOKUP. How do I know if this data in this spreadsheet is also in this spreadsheet? And comes up, VLOOKUP. Yeah. And I'm like, what is a VLOOKUP? And then I watch some YouTube videos like, oh, I can do that. Every, right? every possible question about Excel has already been asked and it's yep. on the internet and it's been asked a hundred different ways. So no matter how you Google it, and my wife will say she's a terrible Googler, no matter mm -hmm. how bad you are at it, somebody else has probably asked it in the same way mm -hmm. to where the answer is there. And that's what I'm, I'm going to go off my little rant right now, if you don't mind, Raven, because okay. um, we talked about this before and I've mentioned it on the show, but it's what I call desktop data. And so before you even like, hey, we know this audit's coming up. We know we're going to be looking at AP or whatever it is. Whoever's over AP has data on their desktop. And by that, I just mean readily available. They use it every day because we all use data every day to some degree, whether we kind of realize it or not. Um, it's there. And so we know broadly what the objectives would be. And so we can say, Hey, before we even start, send me that, what I call desktop data. And then from there, just throw it into a pivot table. Look at the top, whatever, look at the bottom, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and maybe even that's enough, but just do some of that stuff so that when you go into the meeting, you can, you can even say, do you know, you had this, you know, this outlier over here, or this is your top vendor by X percent or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I've had a lot, that's not just like theory uh, that in practice, I've done that. I've had our clients do that. And it, there, there's a lot of success with it for multiple reasons. It builds trust with the client. I know agile is big on that too. That's one of the biggest benefits I've heard is like, they're like our clients love that we're doing this, but okay. My, my rant's over. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and I'm going to add to that by saying auditors need to change the mentality that data analytics is only for testing the effectiveness of controls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what I asked for from her was reports that would allow me to kind of do the pre-work that I wasn't, and I call it pre-work, the information gathering that I should have done before going in, because the reality is, had I had the information up front, had I had um, a list, one of the reports, reports I requested or data that I requested is, can you tell me, can you give me a list of all the adjustments that have been made on all of the accounts for the past year? Mm -hmm. um, 
I would have known that adjustments were a problem. And I probably would have reprioritized my, my project task board to say, yeah. we're covering adjustments first versus me covering them much later in the process. By the way, I never actually got the report that I needed to do the data analytics, which is very disheartening. <laughs> um, it was something that we covered every day in our daily scrum. I still don't have the data to do the data analytics. I still don't have the data to do the data analytics. I still don't have the data every single day in our daily scrum. And probably by day four or five, um, probably by day five, I knew I had a culture issue, which is they'd asked for the audit. They said they wanted the audit, but it didn't sound like they were truly dedicated to learning from the audit. Um, I'll also share with you that, again, as an auditor, I, of course, I needed to audit the process, but I can't ignore big problems, right? I can't ignore when there's a culture issue. I can't ignore when there's a fraud. Um, those things need to, be, need, to be, need to be brought to light. Um, once I kind of settled on that, I did have a sidebar meeting, I'll call it. It wasn't part of our typical sprint structure where I went to the head of the area. And I said, I think one of the biggest problems that I see is that you don't trust your staff and your staff doesn't trust you. Mm -hmm. I said, I think that's why you have these one-off things that you think are potential frauds or whatever the case is potential wrongdoings, potential errors is because you're not asking what this is. Instead, you're just saying, you're just collecting information to ask me to come in and look at it, which yeah. is fine. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate the consulting yeah. opportunity, but what would be better for your environment, your culture is if you went to the person who did it and said, can you walk me through this transaction? Um, and that, I think that conversation, whether it goes into like a, uh, an audit report, which probably not, is probably the, be the best recommendation. I, would, I don't know the full story of this audit, but they could have come out of that, you know? And I think having that conversation of this is what I think the issue is, is something that maybe we're not super comfortable with. But from what I've heard so far, that might be one of the most valuable recommendations that came out of the whole, the whole audit. It was, and I am one to hit culture head on, and it does go in my audit report. Nice. Uh, different story, not an agile audit. I'll just share this with you. Um, was auditing a foundation and very similar environment where there was a lack of trust and um, new leader had come in as a CFO working. This was an audit of an accounting function and had some family issues, which base, and, and it was COVID which basically meant they never saw him around. They, they thought he was absent. They would provide reports, put it on his desk. He would never get them. Um, he actually told me that they didn't have certain types of reports. And when I asked the team, they're like, yeah, that, yeah, we do. We put it on his desk. And anyway, I wrote a culture finding for this group and I didn't want to send it to the CFO because the reality is, is he truly was the problem. Yeah. And, um, he kept pressing me. He was like, I need to see a draft. I need to see a draft. So I called my boss and I was like, I have the draft. She's seen the draft. I was like, I really don't want to send it to him blind. I would much rather pull it up on a screen and talk through it. And he ultimately pressured us enough to send him the draft. And we scheduled a update meeting like a couple of days later. And the first thing he said was, thank you. This is what I needed to hear. This is what I needed to see. And this is what I needed to understand. 
I understand now why. And he listed off things that he tried, tried to get accomplished and couldn't. Um, anyway, I am one to hit those things head on, regardless of how hard they hit someone else. You know, those soft control weaknesses like culture are usually someone's fault. Um, now I didn't say, and CFO, it's your fault, but I said, uh, I said something to the effect that the accounting team desires more presence, more physical presence and participation by the leadership. He knew exactly what I was saying. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.